new COVID outbreak. We need to find the cases in our community. We need to contain these outbreaks. A poultry processor shut down after dozens of employees test positive. The plan to reopen restaurants. What does that look like from a profitability point of view? Can they do it and serve you safely at the same time? And slow motion disaster. It's hit early, it's hit hard. Cash Creek residents fearing much more than COVID. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with details of a major COVID-19 outbreak at a Vancouver poultry processing plant. Health officials say at least some of the cases are included in today's numbers, which include 25 new infections for a total of 1,724 and one additional death, which means 87 people have now lost their lives to the virus in BC. Keith Baldry now with more on what we're learning about this new outbreak and the scope of the investigation. I want to uh, uh, um, let people know about an additional outbreak that has been identified in the Vancouver Coastal Health Region at the United Poultry Company. Suddenly, we have a new cluster outbreak of COVID-19. It's at United Poultry, a chicken processing plant in East Vancouver. 28 employees have tested positive for the virus since Sunday. This came to light over the weekend when Vancouver Coastal Health was investigating one of the community cases that had been uh, identified and it became apparent there were a number of other people in the workplace who were positive. The plant has been closed and uh, the close contacts have been notified of the people we know and the investigation uh, with Vancouver Coastal Health leading and working with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Meanwhile, a check on the latest numbers show a slight uptick to both hospitalizations and ICU cases, as well as recovered cases. But back to that new cluster at the chicken processing plant. Dr. Bonnie Henry says a broader investigation is now underway that will involve other plants. There are um, several plants that are owned by the same company um, and it will be inspected. I'm not aware of any others having um, confirmed cases at this point. Um, but yes, we are very concerned and of course we were watching what was happening in High River. Uh, one of the differences, of course, is we don't have the same uh, uh, communal living uh, um, uh, concept here with these plants as the one in, in High River, but um, it doesn't mean that yeah, we need to make sure that things are being done appropriately. And as for the rising calls by some to ease restrictions, Dr. Henry is pretty clear that's not going to happen anytime soon. So our focus needs to ensure that the storm has lessened and passed before we let up on our restrictions. All right, let's check in now with Keith Baldry for more. Uh, Keith, we all know how badly our healthcare workers need that personal protective equipment. Mm -hmm. And we got an update on that from Health Minister Adrian Dix today. Yeah, a very timely one because I get uh, hundreds of emails from people asking me to ask Dr. Bonnie Henry or Adrian Dix questions and they're all about three topics really stand out. Tests, everybody's an expert on testing. When are we going to ease these restrictions? And the other one is, do we have enough equipment for our frontline workers? Adrian Dix providing the latest inventory in terms of what's arrived in this province. With respect to N95 or CAN95 respirators, we have, uh, and all of these require testing and are being tested before being put into service. We received 3,700,000 uh, uh, N95s and KN95s. Approximately 3 million of those are N95s. This is uh, principally from China. 
uh, surgical masks, 1 million, face shields, 300,000, gloves, 1 million sets. From the federal government, and these are tested and in the system, N95s, 98,700, surgical masks, 918,000, gloves, 224,400. So quite the list there. Uh, as I mentioned last night, one of the issues here is that some of this equipment has to be tested because for years we've been getting our, our masks, N95 masks, from 3M. And we know they work and we know how they function. There's no questions with them. With these other masks coming in from different places, they have to be tested before they go out to the frontline workers. Bit of an issue with some workers that uh, there's a bit of confusion, I think, in terms of some of this new equipment and how fast it reaches the front line. But Adrian Dix assures me right now we have enough equipment on hand to meet uh, any uh, significant significant surge in demand. Well, that's positive. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. There are many British Columbians in India who still can't get home because the country is under a strict lockdown. And now we're learning that international flights might not resume until June. That news is causing a lot of anxiety for Canadians stranded there and their loved ones here. Nadia Stewart has more. Day in and day out, we're on emails um, trying to figure out how we're going to get them home. Tash Rai and her family have eight relatives stuck in India, caught between a COVID-19 lockdown in that country and travel restrictions here at home. Rai says trying to get answers from Ottawa has been frustrating. We've phoned consulates, we've been on hour waits, and we get different answers from every agent. Every agent. I just wish they can just implement a better system. It's luck of the draw, I feel. Whoever gets through, gets the tickets, gets home. The government has said tickets are issued on a first-come, first-served basis. The last glimmer of hope came Tuesday morning via this email, saying government-assisted flights will depart from Bangalore, Mumbai, and Delhi soon. A flight from Amritsar departs Tuesday, followed by another on April 24th. But the government says it's making arrangements for eight more repatriation flights from Amritsar, which is exactly what Gina Takar and a small group from BC's Indo-Canadian community were trying to do. We started selling tickets on the 15th and 16th. Uh, 17th morning, we were made aware that our permit was revoked. Dakar says arrangements were made with a German company for eight chartered flights, all departing from Amritsar, bound for Toronto and Vancouver. Dakar says the Canadian High Commission granted the diplomatic note necessary to make the flights happen until the permit was suddenly pulled, no explanations given. After we got that approval is when our Canadian government got the okay to do the flights from Amritsar. Still, she says action on this file has been too slow. Her offer to support the government in its efforts to return more Canadians home still stands, though she's not convinced Ottawa is listening. We've put everything in place for you. Take it from here, implement it, add it onto the flights you guys already have. Let's get these Canadians home. Nadia Stork, Global News. Canada's largest airline is making another major service cut because of the COVID crisis. Starting Sunday, Air Canada is suspending all scheduled flights to and from the U.S. The airline says the decision is because of the agreement between the Canadian and U.S. governments to extend border restrictions for another 30 days. Air Canada says it plans to resume those flights on May 22nd, but that is subject to further government restrictions. Since the middle of March... Air Canada has reduced its scheduled flights by more than 90 percent. 
One of the biggest financial unknowns of this pandemic is the effect on Metro Vancouver's real estate market. As John Wah reports, while the immediate impact is clear, the long-term effects are still anyone's guess. It's a clear sign we're living in a strange new reality. The usual spring surge of real estate listings in BC noticeably absent amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. You're not seeing a lot of for sale signs out on the street, uh, despite this being April, usually the hottest time where you've got lots of people selling and lots of people buying. But are the days of BC real estate being one of the safest bets coming to an end, with property owners and potential buyers both facing financial uncertainty? When we have unemployment where, where it's at, um, that's going to have a significant impact on the housing market moving forward. For now, it's nervous sellers that has brought the amount of supply down significantly. I suspect you'll probably see sales volumes for April down about 70% um, you know, from last year. While cranes are still in the sky, there will be fewer starts on development projects in the near future. Developers are not simply going to be bringing a project into the marketplace unless they believe that they can uh, cover their costs. That dwindling supply balanced by cautious buyers with rates creeping up on fixed mortgages and discounts being dropped on variable options due to the increased risk of borrower defaults. Right now, the investor confidence um, in the banks are quite low. When the banks need to borrow this money, um, the cost of those funds are increasing. Property investors, usually about 20% of YAM's clients, have all gone quiet. At the moment, I don't really have any investor uh, clients looking to buy property yet. Restraint on both sides of the sale are keeping prices relatively stable throughout what the BC Real Estate Association is predicting will be a deep recession. The hope is the sales dip won't be as long as previous recessions seen in this province if COVID-19 measures are lifted soon enough and pent-up demand can drive a rebound. But the longer this pandemic lasts, the potential for panic selling grows. As this uh, downturn continues, I think it's inevitable that you'll see more sellers and fewer buyers. So whether the future holds a price correction or feeds the fear of a potential collapse, the BC real estate market is not immune to the uncertainty of this global pandemic. John Hua, Global News. Car share company Evo is making some major changes to its operation to help frontline health care workers. Evo has allocated 250 vehicles exclusively for nurses, doctors and other health care workers. Each vehicle will come sanitized, fueled up and free to use. The company says it hopes this move will make it easier for health care members to get to and from work. Frontline health care workers can reach out to their local regional health authority like Vancouver Coastal Health, who will assign them a vehicle and will deliver the car to them cleaned and ready to go. 70 healthcare workers already have their own dedicated Evo car. The health car program will be in effect until at least the end of May. Well, for people who love to dine out, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry saying she is open to restarting limited dine-in service in BC restaurants next month. But as Grace Key reports, there are still a lot of unanswered questions, including whether some restaurants could even survive with limited seating. At Autostrada in downtown Vancouver, revenue has gone down 90%, and they're not sure how much longer they can stay in business. I would say a couple of months before it becomes pointless. Um, doing this sort of takeout delivery model, it's paying some bills but nobody's getting ahead. The industry is releasing a plan next week to reopen restaurants amid social distancing rules. Food safety certification, less seating, and limited menus are some ideas. 
Patios are also expected to play an important role. In the city of Vancouver, we can't wait six months to have a patio approved. Um, it needs to be approved a lot quicker with the intent of getting the economy working faster. For a smaller restaurant like Autostrada on Pender, the owner thinks they may be able to accommodate four tables inside safely and a patio may mean just a couple of tables outside. We would still have to continue with takeaway and delivery. Um, I think you know, we'd want to look at kind of every nook and cranny of getting uh, the revenues back in. We're going to get closer to break even in a lot of cases than we are to the terrible losses that we have right now. And we're going to get a lot closer to hiring, you know, the 180,000 people that are out of work right now in the industry. Autostrada may expand its hours to accommodate this new way of life. We're pivoting every day and kind of evolving as fast as we can and coming up with new ideas. And um, we're really proud of our team for how they've how they've pulled through with this. The provincial health officer believes reopenings are possible and is looking to the industry for innovative ideas. Grace Key, Global News. A communication breakdown revealed in the fallout from the mass shooting in Nova Scotia. One resident who had a brush with death wonders why they didn't get an alert about an active shooter. How some say the Twitter notification wasn't good enough in just over a minute. A wildlife camera trained on a family of falcons spots something else flying through the air. The only question now is, what was it? That's later. And a medical mystery in North Korea. What is wrong with leader Kim Jong-un? Coming up on the News Hour. Right now, though, the number of people who died in a rampage by a Halifax man impersonating an RCMP officer has risen. RCMP confirming today the tragedy has grown to 22 victims. The impact of Canada's worst mass murder reverberating far beyond the string of small communities where it all unfolded. Global's Ross Lord reports. Tributes to those killed are growing, and for some Nova Scotians, so are questions about whether the public had enough information. This country road is popular for walking. Now it's an example of randomness. David and Heather Matthews decided Sunday morning to alter their normal path. So I come out of the driveway and I said, no, I'm not walking down the road. And I don't know why. Minutes later, they heard the sound of what they now believe was a gunshot that took the life of Lillian Hislop, who was also a regular walker. Heather Matthews feels if RCMP had initiated a widespread warning, the outcome could have been different. We get COVID-19 alerts. We get uh, Amber alerts. Why could we not have received, perhaps after the process of this beginning at 11.30 the night before, uh, some kind of an alert to warn us that there was someone loose and that perhaps if that occurred on our devices, televisions, radios, telephones, perhaps Lillian would still be living. Along with hard questions come widespread tributes, including a makeshift shrine at DeBert Elementary School. Lisa McCulley taught here along with being a dedicated mother of two. Nobody in their right mind would want to kill her or anybody. People in these hardest hit communities also crave a day that doesn't reveal even worse information about what happened. Ross Lohr, Global News, port of pick Nova Scotia. It's impossible for the rest of us to comprehend the impact on those small communities that lost 22 loved ones, friends and neighbors. Global's Elizabeth McSheffrey has more on how some of them are being remembered. I know, I know you belong. 
Grade 3 and 4 teacher Lisa McCulley is remembered by Principal Scott Armstrong as a warm, whimsical educator with a love for the arts. She brought so much life and colour to everything she did. She loved music, she loved art, and uh, she was a consummate teacher. And a dedicated, single mother who showed her students and community the same love she did her own children. Not only did she support the students in her classroom and, and other teachers, she actually developed lessons and activities for families in, in, in Portapik and that community who she was involved with in her church community. RCMP say McCulley is one of 23 victims of Nova Scotia's mass shooting over the weekend. 17-year-old Emily Tuck was the youngest. Their lives are being celebrated now by family and friends. We were members of her, her family. Spatsy Dublin says former long-term care worker Don Madsen was a nurturing and kind employee at the Hillsdale Terraces home in Oshawa, Ontario. But the union rep was a straight shooter. Uh, negative or positive, it didn't matter. She was honest, totally honest. There are times that I didn't want her to be that honest. And loved by staff and residents for it. She and husband Frank Gulichin had less than a year together in Nova Scotia after spending several years apart while Frank fixed up their rural home here and Dawn awaited retirement. The one thing that I think gave me some satisfaction is that she was there with her husband and had that time. Her and Frank had that time together to bond again. Halifax area councillor Steve Stretch shares his own fond memories of neighbour and constituent Joey Weber. The married father of two was killed while running an errand for his family. This is such a tragic loss and he will be missed uh, uh, by many, many people. Weber worked in forestry and was fondly known for the two draft horses he used to haul wood by his Muscadabit Valley home. It was always something very unique uh, to see in our small community. Tributes to these victims and those who have not yet been identified are popping up across Nova Scotia, Canada and the world. If you have a Nova Scotia tartan wherever you are, now's the time to wear it. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News, Halifax. Up next, evacuations in Cache Creek. This creek is a killer. Residents watch the water rise again, hoping for a permanent solution to what's become yearly flooding. And COVID companions, how coronavirus has created the perfect opportunity to adopt a pet. Traffic is a little bit slow moving currently at the Patello Bridge because of a big truck heading south, uh, hogging both the southbound lanes. To help you stay safe and at home, Rona is offering free parcel shipping and curbside pickup with online purchases at Rona.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. So far, 50 people have been forced from their homes by fast rising water in Cache Creek. Snowpacks there and around the province are much deeper than normal. And as Ted Chernecki reports, there are growing fears about widespread spring flooding. The big melt is on, with interior temperatures in recent days hitting the high teens and low 20s. Many rivers and creeks are now fast-moving and potentially dangerous. Unfortunately, a couple years ago, our fire chief uh, died in this creek, uh, just a few feet up from where we're standing right now. And uh, so this creek is a killer. It has the potential to kill again and to, you know, harsh words, I realize, but something has to be done. Again, just talk, 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 no action. It's become an annual event and locals are frustrated. The water continues to rise up to roughly around midnight or so. Then it drops down through the night and it takes till late afternoon, early evening before it begins to come up. 
Flood alerts and warnings are now in effect for much of the Caribou-Chilcotin and its tributary rivers, especially around Quenell, Alexis Creek, Anaheim Lake and Cache Creek, where last night two evacuation orders were issued. When we look at snowpack overall, we do have fairly high snowpack through the upper Fraser Basin this year, so uh, upstream of Prince George on the Nechaco and the Fraser um, side, and then also in the Thompson River, uh, North and South Thompson Rivers are quite high as well. Uh, and, you know, reasonable uh, snowpack as we come through the Okanagan and the, the, the Kootenays. So it's, it's a fairly moderate um, to high year province-wide. New this year is how the province and regional districts must grapple with ways to protect property while maintaining social distancing. Also unusual are water flow speeds on the two biggest rivers here. It's unusual to have the Thompson and the, the upper Fraser high at the same time. So it, it, we have to go back a number of years before we kind of see that. Um, for example, on the Thompson River itself, this is about the highest in the last 20 or so years. Depending on temperature and rain, the Fraser and North and South Thompson Rivers could combine to bring extraordinary high levels, even to the Fraser Valley later this spring. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Another car share company is ending operations in B.C. Zipcar says it has made the difficult decision to shut off its engines here in, on May 1st. It blames, in part, B.C.'s insurance regulations. The Boston-based company, which is owned by the Avis Budget Car Rental Group, had operated in nine B.C. cities since 2007. Car2Go shut down its B.C. and North American operations in February. The COVID-19 crisis has had a dramatic impact at the B.C. SPCA. Linda Aylesworth shows us why many of the kennels at the Vancouver shelter, usually full of dogs and cats up for adoption, are now empty. Now, here's a sound you rarely hear at the Vancouver SPCA. It is weird. It's very quiet, very peaceful. You see, all the kennels are empty, but for one young husky named Hans and a puppy named Poppy. Normally we have thousands of animals in our shelters. Right now that number is in the hundreds. The reason? When COVID-19 first arrived, the SPCA wanted to be sure it could accommodate any animals that needed boarding should their owners become ill. So they made room. We had a half-price uh, adoption promotion and we adopted out three 300 animals in five days. And since then, we've seen a steady stream of interest in the animals. Animals that are now coming from other shelters in smaller communities. Right now, we're not taking surrenders in unless they're a dire emergency. We're emptying out our other northern branches who always have an influx of animals. That includes cats. Right now, they only have two here, which puts them, Hans and Poppy in big demand. It's one reason they're finding homes faster than ever. We'll put them up for adoption today. We'll go over applications. We'll set up meet and greets. So within 24 hours. The other reason has to do with how COVID-19 has changed our lives. I think people are home and maybe they think they have more time to, to spend introducing a new animal into their home, more time for training them, bonding with them. Another thing the pandemic has changed is the adoption process. You start by logging on to spca.com bc.ca, check out who's for adoption, then fill out an online application. Then we arrange a one-on-one -on -one meeting at the shelter, but we make sure that there's just one person in the shelter at a time. But while you'll be alone in the shelter, you won't be online. However, we're finding that with every animal we get in, we are literally getting dozens of applications. We had one puppy come in 
We put it on the internet and within 20 minutes we had over 200 applications. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. He's a cutie. He sure is. She's a cutie. I missed it in the story. Anyway, still ahead, reluctant patients are staying away from hospitals. The capacity is almost un unheard of. How one doctor is speaking up about a troubling lack of action at the ER. And connecting kids through sports. Parents look for a glimmer of hope that schedules can be saved. Traffic is in great shape here on the Delta side of the Massey Tunnel and with two lanes in both directions, seeing minimal delays southbound through Richmond. At Kermac Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Speculation is still swirling over the health of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un after reported emergency heart surgery. Kim hasn't been seen in public for several days, which isn't unusual, but questions began after he missed his late grandfather's April 15th birthday celebration, usually the nation's biggest. Some U.S. intelligence officials say Kim, who is overweight and a heavy smoker, may be seriously ill or even incapacitated. But South Korean leaders say at this point they have no evidence to back up reports that he's in critical health. The battle continues in the U.S. over how and when to loosen restrictions, with some states starting already. Three southern states are taking steps to reopen some businesses. South Carolina, starting today, the governor of Georgia is also reopening parts of the state, although several mayors are urging residents to ignore the easing restrictions and stay home. As nurses protested outside the White House over the Trump administration's coronavirus response, the president announced a ban on immigration, although with few details. Queen Elizabeth turns 94 today, but is celebrating in private for the first time in nearly 70 years. The Queen deciding the usual gun salutes and ringing of the bells would be inappropriate during the UK's lockdown. So instead, she celebrated with her husband, Prince Philip, at Windsor Castle. Elsewhere around the world, a number of major events have been cancelled, including the running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain, Oktoberfest in Germany, and the Scripps Spelling Bee. In the U.S., in Australia, some beaches have reopened, but with restrictions that include physical distancing and no sunbathing. A frontline doctor back here at one of the province's busiest hospitals is sounding the alarm tonight. He says some British Columbians are putting their own health at risk by staying away from the ER because of the COVID crisis. Aaron MacArthur reports. Let's, uh, let's mobilize. Marissa, can you grab the PPE cards, please? Emergency department staff at St. Paul's Hospital constantly training to deal with COVID-19. The expected surge in patients hasn't materialized. And at the same time, many of the normal emergency visits have disappeared as well. St. Paul's ED operating at roughly half its normal capacity. The capacity is almost un unheard of. There's care spaces to care for patients. If patients require admission, they're getting upstairs to a room very quickly. Dr. Dan Calla concerned that people with legitimate emergencies like appendicitis are avoiding the hospital. We're concerned that even more time critical issues like strokes and heart attacks, where there really is only a six-hour window for us to intervene before the damage is per permanent or lethal, are, are hesitating and not coming in in time. Nationwide, a similar story. A doctor in Calgary last week suggesting a patient may have died from cardiac-related issues due to fears about the hospital. 
A look at ER wait times across the Lower Mainland shows just how under capacity hospitals are right now. Several emergency rooms with wait times of less than half an hour. A typical day in BC sees about 6,000 ER visits. The number in early April was half that. It has come up to about 4,000. A good sign in the sense that people are seeking out care when they need it. With thousands of free beds, the healthcare system is ready should BC need to meet a surge of COVID patients. But that unused capacity doesn't need to come at the expense of collateral damage. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, families separated by COVID-19 find a way to celebrate a newborn. Baby Willow meeting. Grandma and Grandpa. A grandchild gets a cross-border introduction later. Also tonight, the buzz about cutting your own hair and helping healthcare workers while you're at it. If you're one of the many people in desperate need of a haircut, you might want to take part in a new challenge called Haircuts for Healthcare. The Chilliwack man behind that hashtag is encouraging people to cut their own hair or that of a household family member to give back. Catherine Urquhart has more. It seemed like a good idea. That's so high. <laughs> That's so high. At the time. I swear to God, show me. They thought haircutting would be easy enough. Pandemic haircut results are often good for a laugh. And now, good for healthcare? Been working with my friends at trellis.org and we've put together a campaign called Haircuts for Healthcare. Uh, so today I'm going to be giving JJ a haircut and the money that we would have spent had we taken him to the barber, uh, we're going to be donating. The newly launched Haircuts for Healthcare Challenge suggests you cut your own hair or a family member cuts it and then you redirect the money you would have spent to the hospital foundation of your choice. We figured it'd be a fun way for people to be able to show their gratitude towards uh, healthcare heroes out there that, that are working hard in the hospitals and um, and do it in a playful, fun way. So how do you think uh, your dad did in cutting your hair? Good. <laughs> John Perlinger hopes the charity challenge can raise a million dollars. I think some people are gonna be surprised with how good they are and some people are going to be sadly mistaken that uh, it's a little more difficult than, than it looks. The Chilliwack father of four is quick to point out the challenge won't put any professionals out of business. Dad's haircuts are okay, but I like going to Jack's because he's faster and he gives me a lollipop. In fact, those pandemic haircuts may have many of us running to our hairdressers as soon as they reopen. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. I need to let my hairdresser know right now, as soon as he can reopen, Yeah. book me. You're there. Book me. Get I me will, in there. I thank Jane Kerrigan Galas for a little trim that I got this morning. <laughs> That's all I can do. All right, an unusual sight caught on video in the Netherlands. A wildlife camera captures birds and then something else streaking through the skies. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. Hmm. And it's a changing forecast, isn't it? It is, yeah, but we need it, Christy. 
Yes, absolutely. The plants need it. Uh, we've had a number of forest fires for so that needs to be helped, that situation. Uh, but we're certainly on flood watch, and I'm going to focus in on the areas that are under concern, which are the Caribou and the Chilcotin regions in particular. First, though, yes, it was a cloudy day today. Lots of photos, though, still of all the blossoms and flowers around the area. Despite the gray skies, it really brightens spirits. Yes, this one in Maple Ridge showing the blossoms lining the streets and the colors in Abbotsford right now from all the flowers. Thanks to Joyce for that one. So I've highlighted an area in red. That's sort of the caribou Chukotan regions, the areas that are under the flood warning right now. Now there is a system that's going to push in overnight. The focus of the moisture will be across the south coast and then east of those regions. But what they will see in that area is some cloud cover and a drop in temperature. So that will help ease the snow melt or the speed of it anyways. According to the BC River Forecast Center though, it still won't ease it enough. The, the um, river levels are expected to rise, but at least it's some good news. And it not only is going to be tomorrow that they'll see that change, but into Thursday also. So uh, breaks of blue sky, certainly in the interior, but the chance of showers pushing in across most areas in southern BC, but the focus of the rainfall will be across the south coast. Overnight and tomorrow morning, easing off to drier conditions across the south coast tomorrow afternoon, but still a chance of showers, still remaining a chance of showers on Thursday, but back to some sunshine on Friday. So back and forth over the next little while, much more uh, uh, normal weather for this time of year. And there's your central windows weather window, another one from Joyce. I couldn't help but uh, show another one from her because the, the colors are so amazing. All right, back to you guys. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. A camera set up to document wildlife in the Netherlands inadvertently captured an unidentified flying object. The camera was focused on a pair of peregrine falcons on an office tower when it captured something streaking across the sky. Look at the top right hand corner of your screen and you can see the dark streak moving across the blue sky before falling to Earth. Astronomers believe it might have been a meteorite, but that has not yet been confirmed. Pretty cool if you find any remnants of that. All right, we find uh, Squire sitting across the studio from us right now. Some big news in the NFL, but I know you're talking about Canucks. Today. I think that was one of the Avengers. <laughs> Could be. Coming in for a landing. Okay, yes, we're going to talk about the NFL. There was something rather surprising today, but 26 years ago, is my math correct? 26 years ago this month, the 1994 Vancouver Canucks started their Stanley Cup final run, but they nearly didn't get out of the first round against Calgary. It took the greatest save in Canucks history to keep the run going. I, was, I remember where I was, and that was such a great save, and how did you do it? And... Well, Kurt McClain will tell us how he did it, and some other nuggets from his Canucks career. Growing up in Calgary, I remember that one well. Also, how love finds a way, even when there are border restrictions. Well, normally at this time of the year, soccer fields, hockey rinks, baseball diamonds would all be busy with kids' practices and games. Rugby pitches, too, spoken like a true coach. But this year, those facilities are all closed. And as Richard Zussman reports, it could be a long time before BC kids see another puck drop, kickoff, or pitch. It's a game of catch for the COVID world. Hastings Little Leaguers throwing catching and hitting with the help of some editing while the province is looking at ways to get these players back on the same field. We know that it's less risky outside than inside and we know how important it is to have physical exercise. 
Team sports make physically distancing nearly impossible. And for now, there is no timeline for kids to return to these empty fields. Team sports and big mass gatherings are, are kind of on hold and we're going to have to look at smaller activities to ensure that we're following the guidelines. Sports organizations are grappling with all of those challenges, trying to figure out how to play while maintaining physical distance. That includes what happens with the handshake line, sharing water bottles or sitting in the dugout. I need the people who are involved in those uh, setting up those types of uh, team sports to think about how we can do it in this new normal. On Vancouver Island, the Leyritz Baseball Club is supposed to host the Canadian National Championships with a bid to the Little League World Series on the line, an event now looking unlikely. As of right now, we haven't heard anything from Little League Canada. Um, hopefully we hear by the end of the month. Kids are being encouraged to focus less on their teams and more on what they can do alone. We've even seen uh, parents, uh, you know, creating... Um, uh, drills and, and skills uh, challenges in their backyards, in their garages, even in their hallways. The hope from players and coaches is those runs at home will once again turn into home runs on the field. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, uh, let's check in with Squire for a look at the pro sports. Yes, and we have, oh, it's a, it's a reunion. Look who got back together. It's Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski unretired from football and retired from wrestling. And because of that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to acquire him today in a trade with New England for a fourth round draft choice, which means Gronk and Brady can play catch again. Gronkowski missed all of last season because he was retired, but he did that because he wasn't feeling good physically. He says he's much healthier now. He's ready to play again, especially with Brady, and he'll be 31 years old next month. Well, as we continue to uh, take in votes for our all-time Canucks roster, and you can find that list at globalnews.ca on our website, we've been reliving great players from the Canucks past and great moments. And one of the players who is pretty much assured to be voted onto the team as one of the goalies is Kurt McLean, who in the 1994 playoff run made the most famous save in Canucks history in Game 7 of Round 1 against Chris Galis's favorite team at that time, Calgary. Oh, I can see it. I can see it uh, happening. Uh. Roberts pulls it ahead to Flurry. Here he comes with Reichel. Flurry for Reichel. Great save by Kirk McClain. We always uh, kid courts because uh, Jeff was busting his rear end to get back, and that never happened, right? <laughs> but he was, uh, you know, Dana had pinched, and, and uh, the puck got by him, and, and you know, Yerke was back uh, uh, covering up and yeah, I didn't see the save uh, Theo Fleury had the puck uh, on my left side since he actually scored on a similar play similar rush early in the game so again I I think that's that's what I was thinking I was just trying to keep him to the outside but the pass he made it was a that was nice nice sauce pass I remember it flying over my stick and I'm going like oh my god this is we're done and I turned around and all of a sudden I see puck in front of me it's like where did that come from? I had no idea because to me it looked like it's a tap-in. Kirk McLean made countless big saves in his decade-long Canucks career. Off Gagne, spectacular goaltending by Kirk McLean. Gilbert trying to come in, made a great save. The stock pad special on Robert Reichel is the one save forever ingrained in the mind of Canuck fans. It's the kind of stop a goalie only of Kirk's ilk could make. 
Gilmore moving in on goal, shoots, McLean picked it off. Oh, man! No, Captain Kirk and Toronto shaking their head. You know, I was a little robotic, like the tabletop goalie, everybody considered me as as well, but but the, the guys now, you know, when they make uh, make that lunging save because they have to, it, 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 I, grin, I cringe, I go, I don't know how their groins or their hips are going to take it. Stand-up goalies in their style of playing the angles went the way of the Sony Walkman. Same for another McLean secret, when you can bet no goalie of today's era would even dare copy. I used to cut all my gear out because I wanted to feel the puck and know where the, the rebound landed. His work in and outside the crease is Captain Kirk enshrined in the Canucks' ring of honour. He truly is one of the all-time Canuck greats. And next time you see him, feel free to ask him about the save. You know, I'm, I'm happy with it. I mean, it was a defining moment in my career, without a doubt. You know, every time it's brought up, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a flash right there, without a doubt. McLean is there. Of all the new NFL uniforms being unveiled of late, none has gotten as much positive reaction as the L.A. Chargers going back to being the powder blues band of pro football. And there it is. That's what they will look like this coming season. And you notice the helmet with the number on it? That's really kicking it old school. That's... Uh, a throwback to the 1960s Chargers when they were in San Diego. All right. Andrew is here right now with the preview of Global News at 11. And Thanks, Squire. Homicide investigators are asking for the public's help in a missing person mystery. 45-year-old April Parisian of Spuzzum may have met with foul play. She was last seen on April 7th or 8th. Last Thursday, her truck and camper were found with her injured boyfriend, Paris Margeson, inside. He died of what's believed to be a self-inflicted wound. And this year's Bloom Tulip Festival in Abbotsford has been cancelled, but a contest could still give someone the chance to enjoy millions of tulips to themselves. We'll explain when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. Wow, looks beautiful. Thanks very much, Ann. All right, we have our salute to our healthcare heroes when we come back from this break, plus grandparents on one side of the border and their brand new baby granddaughter on the other. That's next. It's hard enough to stay connected with friends and family in these days of COVID-19, even more so when that family is in another country with the borders closed. That's right, but BC families are still finding a way to make it work, marking major milestones apart, but still together. Sarah McDonald explains. Baby Willow meeting. Grandma and Grandpa for the first time. It's not the way anyone envisions meeting the newest member of their family. Yeah. And especially so for Kathy and Bill Ward, who've traveled from their home in Chilliwack to Washington State, where their daughter Jody lives, for the births of their other grandchildren. She had her uh, third daughter on April the 11th, and because of the border closures, we weren't able to go down and and see her, which was really. And sad. Yeah. Something that simply wasn't possible with nine-day-old Willow. It was really tough. Um, we found out by a text that uh, the baby was born. It's definitely a weird time to have a baby, you know. Um, uh, just you feel like you could, should celebrate with your friends and family and you know, we haven't really gotten to do that this time. So they settled for the next best thing. The wards can't touch or hold their newborn granddaughter, but they can see her. I was, I was really, really happy that we were able to see her in person. But 
Mm -hmm. I just want to hold her. Divided only by this ditch, demarcating the land border between Canada and the United States. Close to non-essential travel for weeks now, as both countries grapple with a global pandemic. Oh my God. <laughs> but British Columbians on this side are still finding ways to connect with loved ones on the other. Like this birthday surprise, pulled off for the patriarch of an Alder Grove family that just wouldn't be complete without these relatives living just south of us. Happy birthday! It is difficult to be divided, yet still so close. The wards, like so many others, know exactly what they'll do once the travel restrictions are lifted. Go down and visit. <laughs> giving a whole new meaning to FaceTime. In the meantime, Sarah McDonald, Global News. All right, it is just about that time to make some noise for our dedicated healthcare workers on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. But before we do that, the News Hour wants to recognize one of your BC healthcare heroes. Tonight's submission comes from Alana Worsley. Alana nominated her friend Lindsay Von Tongren, who's a respirologist working out of RCH and Eagle Ridge Hospital. She's also a clinical assistant professor at UBC. Now, as a respirologist, Lindsay comes face-to-face -face daily with people who are either exhibiting symptoms or have already tested positive for COVID-19. She works tirelessly to ensure her patients receive the best care possible while also raising her two young children, Kylie and Jaden, along with her husband, Justin. Lindsay also happens to be celebrating her birthday tomorrow. So a very happy early birthday from all of us at Global News. And if you have a healthcare hero, send your nomination with some pictures and details to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca. Thank you very much, Lindsay, and happy birthday. Happy birthday, all suited up in that PPE. Okay, last word on weather from Christy before we go. What? Very stylish. Very stylish. Sure, so we are certainly... Uh, what's that? Sorry, I missed that. Keep going. Go, keep going. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, well, yes, so we are expecting rain overnight tonight. Well-needed rain, which is great. Right into tomorrow morning, but drier tomorrow afternoon. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Have a good night. <laughs>